0: I wonder if you could think about a time in your life when you were uh, looking forward to some sort of big event um, and what that was like for you as you got ready for that. So I remember it was in November of 2003 when I felt called to be a senior pastor. I was sitting in a church service at the Rock Uh, which at the time was meeting at Montezuma Hall in San Diego State. And as I was listening, I heard Pastor Miles McPherson sharing. um, And as he was speaking, I heard uh, the voice as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord's voice um, in my life, just saying, I want you to do that. And with those seven words, six words, um, my life was changed. And I remember thinking about that event of, oh, that's going to be amazing when I get to be a senior pastor. So the process to do that was I went to schooling. I started volunteering at my old church. Um, I got hired on as a part-time youth pastor. Then I got hired full-time. Then I started working in college ministry. Then I started working with small groups. And then I started being a campus pastor. Just the process took, you know, a whole time to get there. And then I remember praying about and pursuing become a senior pastor. I remember coming here and and here receiving the job offer and driving home and thinking, oh my gosh, this is happening. The event is going to take place. There's been a big process behind me, but it's gonna happen. And then you get there and you get excited about things. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, N- now what? Like, what do I do? I've, I've had this event that I've been looking forward to for so long. And then the question is, now what? What what do I do? There's been a big process beforehand, but now what steps do I take? Maybe, maybe for you it's not landing a dream job or a, a calling such as I've been blessed to do. Maybe it's a, a marriage and you're planning for the wedding, you have the wedding day, and then all of a sudden, you know, you think about the wedding day's over and now you're married to someone and you think, now what? How do we have a, a an honoring, God-honoring relationship, a marriage? Maybe for you, it's school. You wanted to get to a certain school. You wanted to get to a certain university. And, and you built up to that. And you got the acceptance letter. That was the event. And then you think, now what? Maybe it's myriad different things. Maybe it's a trip you got to go. I mean, there are so many different options. But you think of an event in your life in which you were building up because there was a process to get there. You got there. It happened. And then you think, now what? What do I do with this? Because as a culture, we often prioritize the event over the process. We tend to have a goal that we want to reach without acknowledging the discipline it takes for that goal to be reached. We think about something that's far away without noticing how many steps we need to make to get there starting today. And so I bring all of this up because in a few moments, as we dive into God's word together, we're going to talk about the events in which s- thousands of people came to know Jesus in the book of Acts, chapter two. But then the question becomes, there's a bunch of people who follow Jesus. Now what? What does the church, early church, look like? And as a senior pastor who has the honor of leading such a great church, we ask Now what? What do we do with the orthodoxy, the right belief that we've taken these past few weeks to look at, and how that leads to orthopraxy, the right praxis, excuse me, the right practice. Now what? What are the practices? What are the desires and the impacts we have as a church? And so if you're just joining us online, that's a quick intro of where we've been. We'll dive more into it. Thank you for joining us. For those of you who are here with us, all together now as an intentional gathering of people, Let's pray and ask God to meet us here. Father, I thank you so much that you are here in this place and that you are here in whatever place someone is hearing my voice right now. Lord, we thank you that um, we can intentionally gather together as the ecclesia, as not just a church building, but the intentional gathering of people who are coming together under your name. So we're doing that online and in person today, Lord. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us where we are, yes, locationally, but Lord, also relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Meet us here, Lord, as we think of where we are now We must ask ourselves the question, now what? What's the process to get us to wherever you have us in the future? So as we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 and prioritizing 42 through 47. But in order to do that, I need to give a little bit of the context, which I referred to a little bit earlier on, that... Acts 42 describes, verse 47, describes the church and what it looked like and what the early believers did together, the practices that they did together. But the events, the, the, the big life-changing thing that we often spend a lot of focus on is, is what happened in Acts 2, 1 through 41, in which Pentecost happened, which meant that the the, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon the apostles, that they went out into Jerusalem. And they started preaching in other people's native tongues so that people could understand the gospel. And Peter starts preaching. And the sermon is the kind of sermon that as preachers we want to have. We want to be able to share where the Spirit of God is moving. That It's incredible that people are responding. And the people respond in verse 37. And they say, or it talks about 37, excuse me, we are cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart by the power of the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. They were cut to the heart. And then verse 38, they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized. And then in verse 41 talks about how then thousands were added to their number, their number being the number of believers that were part of the church now. Thousands were added that day. There was the event. There was the big buildup. There was the whole process of God's church, the Holy Spirit coming down, people finding out about who Jesus is. That was going to spread now across the nations because the people who came from different nations and found out about the gospel were going to go back to their homes. And all of a sudden the event happened. And then the body of Christ had to ask the question, now what? What's the vision of what the church looks like? And so we're going to take some time to unpack verses 42 through 47 and looking at a few um, dynamics, a few, a few um, not necessarily markers, because uh, Dan Lewis used the word markers of maturity last week, so I can't use that word again. But, you know, some different symbols or ideas that point us to the fact that of what the Acts 2 vision of the church is. And so the first one that as we look at, as we start to read in Acts 2, 42, talks about how the first idea of Acts 2 vision is that the believers were fully devoted. They were fully devoted. If you want to take notes, uh, feel free to do so. Fully devoted will be the first one that we have here. And it talks about this in verse 42. They, again, they being the number that were just added to the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's a few of those points, uh, you know, that in and of itself could be a, a sermon, that in and of itself could be a series. I mean, th- this this text is so rich with orthodoxy leading to orthopraxy, what the right practices are, that it's so rich. But I want to spend just a few moments looking at a few of the things to be devoted to that. The first one is the idea of the apostles' teaching, the fact that the apostles were preaching the God, God's word that was based off of the Old Testament, so it was based on the written word as well as the spoken word and that it was truth spoken in love, that they were devoted to hearing the teaching, the proper teaching of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's important to note that because for them, when we, when we think of, okay, I, I want to be devoted to the God God's word being taught. That often means attending services either online or here in person. It often means maybe listening to other podcasts or doing your own Bible study with listening to other pastors or small group leaders or things like that. It implies this, 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 this idea of being able to really be focused. I really want to devote myself to, to, to what is being taught, which is awesome. But back then, in the Acts 2 church, it wasn't simply just my, my, my personal privatized faith. It was the idea of being devoted to the apostles teaching me, meant that when Peter goes out and he preaches and John preaches in Acts three and four, and they get arrested and they know I'm associated with them now as a believer, as a fellowship of the believers. Now, all of a sudden, I, I, am I gonna stay devoted to the message of the gospel that's changed my life yet the people preaching it are in jail? Am I gonna, am I gonna flee from my faith? Or am I gonna stay devoted to the gospel regardless of what happens? Our faith is personal, right? It's between us, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's never meant to be private. It's never meant to be privatized or separate to the point where it's, oh, you know what, you do you you in the church, you know, this is, it's just me and Jesus, we're good. You and Jesus can still be good, but we love God and we love others. We need to fulfill the 50 different times in the New Testament when it says the one another commands. To love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. I mean, we cannot do a relationship with God on our own. So we, we pull this all back to recognize that it's not about just our, our private relationship. It's the apostles' teaching is something that we are devoted to. That We're devoted to God's word being taught so I would ask that whenever any one of us preaches here at the church, that you would just be praying for those of us that God has called into ministry or has called to teach. Because teachers are held to a higher standard, and I recognize that. And so pray for us as we receive from the Lord, but pray for us that we may be able to share what God wants and that you'd be able to receive, that we'd be able to grow together. That we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, which means, if I may be forthright, it means we need to eliminate teachings around us that are either false, that are conspiracies that don't have basis in reality, that are driven by things on the media, that that are focused on things other than who God is and how we ought to live in such a way that glorifies him because it'd be easy for us to start to be devoted to the news that we see on our phone or on TV and then fail and listen to that teaching rather, and fail or forget to be devoted to the apostles teaching to the word of god and how we are called to live in response to it. We're also called to be fully devoted to the fellowship. And fellowship if you if when I think of fellowship, when I first became a Christian, I didn't understand what that meant. Um, It's like, it's a very Christian word, like fellowship. You don't just say, you know, a bunch of guys don't just go hang out like, hey, after work, you wanna go like fellowship over at, you know, at Chili's? Like, no, we don't, that's not a thing that people say, right? Fellowship was a very Christian term. And so I often have just thought of it as like, it's community, right? Like we're just gonna be fellows together and, you know, hang out. And, And it's a very communal driven, but this word fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek. And koinonia doesn't just mean, you know, proximity community. It's this idea of an an association, a partnership, and participation. Again, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. That right belief must lead to right practice and a right participation in what it looks like to be part of the church. And so the fellowship is more than just who's near us. Proximity. It's this idea of being a part of something much bigger. So, when I think about our church, our church is located in Poway, and so I'm we're connected to different ministries in Poway, Community Food Connection, and Abraxas and you know really great, great things, and great ministries and, and organizations. But you know, it's not like we all come together as Poway necessarily, and and you know we have a connection with our community there. Yes, they're our neighbors, and we are fellows with them in that regard. But when we talk about a Act, um, participation partnership and association we have an association with their city however we may have a stronger association with believers in different cities right like that's what unites us more that we have more in common with uh, a fellow believer who's in india through north india christian mission or through uh, mashoka valley hip, or hippo valley mashoka village in zimbabwe we would have more in common with them because we have what's most important that's in common with them. Our relationship with Jesus. So because that is true, our association, our fellowship is not just those nearest. It's the being part of something much bigger and being set apart for that. So this past week, or sorry, yesterday, excuse me. Yesterday we were part of We Pray San Diego. We did this in June in which we prayed. We um, Uh, Over several different things, we did this uh, in September, in which we specifically focused on praying for schools. And then yesterday, January 30th, we prayed for hospitals, for frontline medical workers, for those affected by COVID, for families who are, you know, missing their their um, loved ones and can't visit them, and those who have mourning the loss. We we prayed specifically over that over the past, um, you know, over the past uh, yesterday, and, you know, we have an association, we have a partnership with other churches to lift hospitals up in prayer. And through that partnership, that that event yesterday, there were over 1,800 people that clicked on, individual people that watched. There were over 200 people that asked to find out more info about a church, one of which was ours was listed because we were part of the partnership and the association. We had um, over like thousands of people praying, 24 different churches that were partnering, 17 different hospitals that were prayed for, and 72 people watching online who gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. it's is incredible. This is an incredible thing, recognizing that people are praying for their hospitals nearby and people would come to know Jesus through that. That's a fellowship, that's a being set apart, that's a having something more in common rather than just we live near each other, proximity. It's we are associated and we are partnering and participating in what God's doing, that we are the fellowship and we're devoted to being kingdom-minded and to be part of something bigger. Not just our church, but the church. Then we're also talking about you know, being devoted to the breaking of bread and, and spending time together, eating meals together. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more in a few moments. And then being devoted to prayer. And so that's something that we, we always need to keep doing. But they did that together, and they did that individually. So they were devoted. We're fully devoted to those four things. And, again, we could spend a whole sermon, a whole series on each one of those. But what I want to do is, is to keep moving forward as we look through the verses. So the next verse says this, verse 43 it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We sang the song earlier, Faith and Wonder, acknowledging just this, this the awe that's talked about 43 is, is almost like a fear, like you're awestruck, like you're so um, caught off guard. They were, they were so caught up and caught off guard, so in awe of what God was doing through the apostles, that the signs and the wonders, and we sang about that a little bit earlier. But then verse forty-four hits us on our next point here, where it's not just about um, it's not just about having being fully devoted, but to have uncommon unity with one another in the church. Verse forty-four says, "All the believers were together and had everything in common." That is a um, that is a very uh, how do I put this? Um, that's a very strong statement, right? That everyone had everything in common. Have you ever been in a room with two people in which you had everything in common, right? There's always something, but what does this say? This talks about how we need to have an uncommon unity, that we need to be able to stand out with other believers because what unites us, our relationship with Jesus, supersedes anything the world would use as a identifier that would divide us. So, we would have everything in common doesn't mean we have to agree on all of the same stuff nowadays but it means that what matters most unites us our relationship with jesus unites us doesn't matter who we voted for doesn't matter where we came from doesn't matter where we work it doesn't matter what school we went to it doesn't matter what we do for our hobbies it doesn't matter what our nationality is or our country of origin or these things don't matter as much as do we have Jesus in common? Because if the answer is yes, then we have, we can strive for an uncommon unity, the kind of unity that people who are outside of the church who don't know Jesus would look and say, all you guys look different, you act different, but what is it that makes you the same or what makes you united? Well, it's Jesus. Because a relationship with him is more powerful to unite than all other things are to divide. That there are people who don't follow Jesus, and part of that might be because they see division amongst the churches. How come this denomination is attacking this denomination? Don't you both love Jesus? And if that's true, well then clearly, from another outsider's perspective, clearly Jesus must not make a very big difference because you're more focusing on what you're fighting about rather than who you're for. We need to have uncommon unity, which is not the same as sameness, right? We have learned about unity last week. That sameness means you have an orchestra where everyone plays the flute. It'd be boring and high-pitched and, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't move us the same way. Unity means that we all play the instruments. We all use the gifts. We all become... The god's versions of who we've been made to be and we do so in unison in harmony with one another because when all the pieces of an orchestra come together the sound is fuller and richer than if any individual piece on their own it's not sameness it's harmony we have uncommon unity as something that we strive for as a church The next thing that we talk about is not just that we have uncommon unity, but that we also strive for selfless generosity. Verse 44, excuse me, 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That One, that meant that they had to be aware of people's needs, which meant that they had to stop and listen and and find out who was in need. But then they would sell their properties. They would go over and above in finding ways to think not how much of my money and possessions can I hold on to so that I can survive, but how much can I give away so that others can thrive. That generosity, or excuse me, greed gives way to generosity at the point of surrender to Jesus. That Francis Chan, I I heard him quoting someone else. I I forget her name. I think it's Amy Carmichael. I could be wrong. But the quotation said, you can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. That we are made in the image of a giver God, a generous God. We follow a Savior who selflessly laid down his life, that he knew no sin but became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, that he came down, that, the, we had that we need to have the attitude of Christ who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be snatched or grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that beautiful picture we just quoted from Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Talk us about the generosity, the selflessness of Jesus, of giving his life so we may have eternal life. Now, uh, at my previous church, we had an event that we would do every Christmas uh, for several years called a toy store in which there would be... in the same way that people needed to be aware of the needs, the church need to be aware of the needs and acts to help, that there would be other, there'd be local schools that we were connected to that would share names of families or of kids because of their circumstances that would not be able to afford Christmas gifts. And so they would give the names, the, sc- the schools would give the names to our church and then the church would then say, okay, we need this amount of um, gifts for a, boy between the ages of eight and eleven and this many for a girl between four and seven or whatever the whatever the breakdowns were and we would every year people would buy the they would take a tag to say this is what I'm gonna bring they would bring it there and so by the night of the two nights of the toy store our auditorium our, our sanctuary at the church would be lined with shelves that were filled with toys kids would be able to have a, a families would be able to have a host from our church someone who would walk through with them they'd be able to get a meal if they wanted they'd have hot chocolate uh, and s'mores they would walk through with them and the kid would be able to walk in and would see the uh, the shelves lined with toys and would be able to pick a toy that they wanted and then they would the family would take that toy bring it to members of our church that would wrap it all nice so that they would have something to open up on Christmas day. And I give you the background because there's a story that happened one of the um, one of a college student had shared how a few years before he was one of those boys. He was one of those kids whose name was brought up as someone who could use a Christmas gift. He went to the toy store, had a host that walked through with him, was kind to him and warm and welcoming, not pushy, like come to service, come to service, but genuinely wanted to get to know him and then invited him to service. That he felt so much love and how he felt that it was uh, just such a, a great thing. He, and through the generosity of that ch- of the church members saying, okay, we'll buy toys to help kids in need and to provide Christmas gifts. He started coming to church He gives his life to the Lord, and then a few years later, at the time of his writing of the story, he then was no longer one of the kids that was going to be needing the gift. He was now become one of the hosts that was going to walk with other families. That generosity opens the door for the gospel to change lives. So selfless generosity means that we think of, again, not how much can I hold on to, so that I can survive? Or how much can I give away so that others can thrive? So we continue on. Not only do we have become fully devoted, not only do we have uncommon unity, not only do we have selfless generosity, but we also talk about having intentional community. Intentional community. Every day, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You notice the word together used a couple times in that verse. And then it's also used a little bit earlier in this section. This togetherness is something that is honestly, if not the one of the hardest parts about the pandemic is that we're not able to invite people into our homes as we once did. That as a church, we're not able to have the potlucks that we once had. We were not able to break bread together in the same way, but that's all the more reason why we need to be intentional to have community. It is in our isolation that our need for others is all the clearer. It is in our loneliness when our need for friendships is all the more obvious. So intentional community is used because it's not just a the type of community where we can kind of show up somewhere and say hi to one another and then be like, oh, I experienced community. No, no, this kind of a community is one where you invite someone into your home. Yes, they met in the temple court. So there was a large community that is mentioned there, a large gathering. But there's also the inside your homes gathering. So this was something we had, they had to be intentional about in the same way that we need to figure out ways to intentionally be in community, whether that's a small group via Zoom, whether that's a prayer time that is distanced outside, whether it is phone calls, whether it's texts, it's intentionally still reaching out and intentionally being part of a community. Because if we're, what we're seeing is the numbers of people who are attending the church or a part of our church services are, are smaller, they are. They're smaller than what they were before. And part of that and the concern as a pastor as a shepherd is how much of that is happening because people are no longer intentional about being together how much of that happens because people fall out of habits and then lose community so they don't have people to encourage them pray for them come alongside them so then therefore they try to make our faith private just me and God rather than personal which is between me and God alongside one another so this idea of needing to be intentional to have to be together and togetherness looks differently but different is not an excuse for ignoring it we still need to figure out how to be intentional in our community then verse 47 talks about, not after we get intentional community, the next thing we talk about is passionate worship. Talked about how the community came together and they were praising God. They're praising God. Remember, in Acts, there wasn't always just good stuff going on in their lives. People were being persecuted. People were being arrested. They were praising God. There were thousands added to their number and they're praising God. And then there's difficult things and they're praising God with glad and sincere hearts that coming up in the next five weeks after, you know, starting next week, we're going to start a series called when God doesn't, which is going to go through five different um, aspects of the, or five different weeks through the book of Habakkuk and asking questions or addressing issues like when God doesn't seem fair, when God doesn't make sense, when God doesn't stop evil, when God doesn't show up. And wrestling with these questions through the story of the book of Habakkuk. And we bring it up because even when there are those difficulties, we are still called to praise God. That our praise for God is not contingent upon the quality or our own contentment with our circumstances. That our praise for God is because of his character and who he is not because of how nice things are going in our lives currently. So they were praising God, that there was passionate worship of lifting up God's name, that they're praising God with glad and sincere hearts. The next one we talk about, it says, verse 47, and they are enjoying the favor of all the people, but it's gracious example. And I'm, there's probably a better way to have worded that, but the reason I use the word gracious Examples That they lived such good lives that they were an example to the people around them, the Gentiles or those who didn't know God. And they were known, you know, they were um, given the word favor in the NIV Bible, it can also be translated um, goodwill, or it can also be translated as the word grace. And so it's this idea of our example is so filled with grace that we get to be gracious and so we get to share that grace with those around us. That if we have been changed by the grace of God through the power of the, of the relationship with Jesus Christ and his gospel, then that means that we can let go of bitterness and lack of forgiveness that people in the world might still hold on to because we recognize how much we've been forgiven. If you want to read Matthew 18 more about that. We are able to then show grace to those who are different than us because we recognize that what unites us is more important. We're able to show grace and to to do so in such a way that then there is a goodwill or a favor or a grace that is seen as a response. That people say, hey, you know, at my old church we used to say if, if the church ever left that city, we would want that city to miss the impact that the church had that if the church left would, in this case, it was the city of San Dimas, would San Dimas miss us? And because the church had done such a good job of connecting with the city, then there'd be a great impact and there'd be this opportunity for the church to, or excuse me, for the city to say, no, we, we want you to be here because what you're doing is so impactful. And so we wanna be so filled with grace that our example shines like stars in a dark and crooked and depraved generation. That we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth. And as Matthew 5, 13 through 16 talks about light of the world, salt of the earth, it closes by saying that people would see your good deeds and they would give you a thumbs up. No. It says they will give you, they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That our gracious example is what allows us to have an impact with other people and to share the gospel. I've quoted it before, but Brendan Manning talks about how the single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and go out and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. May our example be so grace-filled because Jesus has poured in grace into us that we are able to share that grace with others. And to be clear, Jesus came in grace and truth. So grace doesn't mean we ignore truth. John 1 talks about he came in grace and truth, right? So we don't ignore truth. We don't don't, don't show so much grace to people that we ignore what God's word says. No, no, no. We're still devoted to the apostles' teaching to the point where we know what it says and we know how to share it in a way that is speaking the truth in love. So, we look at here, let's, let's stay on this one, where people who are fully, we want to be people who are fully devoted. That's what the vision of the church is in Acts 2. People who live with uncommon unity. People who live with selfless generosity. Intentional community, passionate worship, gracious example. And then at the very end, all of that is to have an eternal impact. Verse 47 closes by saying, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That as a pastor, I don't have an interest in just going about the motions of church, of, do, of just doing church as if it were, you know, okay, it's Sunday. I got to make sure I have things ready. And if it becomes just getting through services. Because God called us in, as the church to have an impact. That we've been changed by God not so that we can pat ourselves on the back. We've been changed by God, not so that we can just feel good about ourselves, but we've been changed by God to change the world, to have an impact that goes far beyond even our own lifetime. And so I'm grateful that we have a church that that we want to figure out how to have that impact. And we say now we need to continue that process of how to do that. What does it look like? Because verse 41 Which we kind of introduced in this section, and then verse 47, both talk about people being added daily who are saved, added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Life change and salvation for people who don't know Jesus is the reason is the point of the church, that God doesn't have a plan B. Jesus didn't say, all right, 12 disciples, I'm going to come in. I'm going to pour into you for three years. Judas, you're going to be difficult. We'll deal with that later. But the rest of you, you're going to go in and you're going to spread the gospel. But if you don't do it, it's okay because I'm just going to have someone come across the sky and just put like a sign in the middle of, you know, like he didn't just, he didn't have a backup plan. People who were recognized they're far from God have drawn near to God. And who are becoming disciples, who are making more disciples, that is the plan for God's church in this world. That is the DNA. There are people who recognize that church isn't just a building, it's the foundation is Jesus as Lord. That we recognize that we love God, we love our neighbors, ourselves. We keep looking for one more conversation, sharing the gospel one more person at a time. That we grow into maturity, so that we can have an eternal impact. So, as an example of this, I had a friend at my previous church. Her name was Rachel, and she uh, got involved in a ministry called Triple X Church, which is a um, originally was designed as accountability software for pornography, but through that process, it started to to grow and have a greater impact in different ways. To the point where then teams from triple uh, x church would go and would go meet at either they would either go to um, strip clubs or they would go to porn conventions and share the gospel have women who are pouring into the women who are part of the industry because you think about uh, where might god be the well, where might be the last place someone might expect to receive the love of god or to experience that love and it might be or one place might be a pornography convention and so Rachel would go and she would lead teams. And so she ended up um, starting to get to know, obviously some of the women over the, over the years, it took a few years, but she got, you know, befriended a woman named Brittany and Brittany was someone that, you know, she connected with, but you know, they had good conversations, but eventually Brittany, not at a convention or not, you know, in person with Rachel, but at Brittany at one point gave her life to Jesus. And there was this beautiful moment where she got to, Rachel got to celebrate this and There was a a time when our church was able to record an interview with them, with Rachel asking Brittany, you know, what, what changed. And, you know, it was this incredible moment where Brittany was able to talk to Rachel and talk about how the way that Rachel and the other teams loved her by showing her the power of the gospel, by going and going to a place that was a dark place and being a light in that place. And by building that relationship, it it allowed for her to see the power of Jesus, and she surrendered her life. And then she fast forward a few years, and Brittany, completely out of the industry, marries a young adults pastor um, further north in the state of California, a little bit north of us, um, and then they now are the ones who are leading X Church as a ministry. See, as Dan, uh, Pastor Dan mentioned a few weeks ago, it's... The power of one more conversation. Rachel's one more. In this case, she's done a lot, but one of them is Brittany, who now is able to have an impact that's eternal. Not just the impact of helping someone right now. We we want to do that and care for people's needs. But an eternal impact that changes the course of someone's life because now they understand the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel that god is good he loves us we blew it because of our sin that christ paid for that sin and that we must receive him that that gospel has an eternal impact that impacts generations generations of people who believe so we're doing this we're trying to be a church not just do church motions or cross off church boxes, but to be the church that lives out, being fully devoted, has uncommon unity, sacrifice—excuse me, selfless generosity, all those different things that we listed. We, we get to do that not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but that God could get glory, and people who don't know him would come to know him. So their lives would be changed. And then when they have that moment, that event where they give their lives to Jesus like the people did in Acts two, and they say, now what? We show them. We live it out. We create programs, or not even programs, but we create avenues through which they live out what it looks like to be a disciple who's making disciples, who makes more disciples. Because friends, that's the DNA of the church. And so, will you take some moments as we, can we go back? Yeah, thank you for leaving this list on. Maybe you need to write down fully devoted, uncommon unity, selfless generosity, intentional community, passionate worship, gracious example, and eternal impact. And maybe the Lord will stir within you one of those. We're not. It's not trying to fix everything all at once. But if there's one of those that jumps out and says, that's what I need to work on. Holy Spirit, guide me to show me which one of those you want me to to do work with now and one step at a time one day at a time we'll be able to continue to become in the image of christ likeness through the holy spirit to sh- have and share the gospel with those around us and that we're not just doing church but we are the church who are disciples who are making disciples who make disciples to have an impact that lasts not just for a lifespan here on earth but for eternity in heaven Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, and I thank you that you are, um, Lord, I thank you that you trust us with your church. That is, uh, we know that church isn't perfect. We know that we are not perfect. We know that church can be messy. It can be um, hard to navigate and live out these different elements we discussed today. We can struggle with it. We can, um, Lord, we know it, it can be messy. I mean, again, we saw within even your disciples that it wasn't perfect. But Lord, it's sometimes in the messiness that your grace and your power is most evident. Because only you can take a mess and move it into a message for your gospel. Only you can take a test and make it into a testimony. Only you can fill in the broken places in our hearts and souls and fill it with your love and your grace and your truth. Only you can heal the wounds that no one else sees. Only you can move in such a way that we may be able to have an impact because the Lord, you are the one who adds to the number of people being saved. But we have the honor to partner with you, to be in koinonia, partnership fellowship with you as you do so so god thank you stir within us ways for us to grow and we pray now that we would continue to have an impact eternally for your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen